3: Of a real estate podcast i'm your host adam scalina and i'm your other host
1: matt scalina adam where are you, hey, matt, you want...
3: give me uh, give me a second here i gotta turn this car off here i'm parked i'm parked just outside of sycamuse bc um on my way back to vancouver yeah, here you, shortly you're on uh you're on a
1: you're taking care of some family business is that right
3: exactly that that is absolutely right well but i'm uh yeah i'm on my way back and it's about i've only been out here for about 10 hours or so but uh Heading back to Vancouver and looking forward to this week's podcast.
1: Yeah, we got, uh, we should say we got Andrew LaFleur, uh, Toronto realtor, uh, founder of TrueCondos.ca on the show today and uh, he is outlining exactly what's going on in Toronto, which is quite a bit different than Vancouver. It's funny, uh, we've had Andrew on before and it seems like Toronto was always about six months behind Vancouver. And uh, and it, now it seems like it's veered off. So stay tuned for that.
3: It actually sounds—I should say—it it sounds like dramatically different markets right now uh, in Toronto and, and Vancouver, and and a very different sentiment after listening to uh, to Andrew speak as well. Uh, so I'm I'm excited for our listeners to hear that. And also, we should say, Matt, before we get to our interview with Andrew, that he covers a lot of interesting. Like it's more of just a, a general conversation about not only the market but about Andrew's investment philosophy and what he does and how he works with investors. And, and he's a really interesting guy. He's also an investor uh, in real estate himself, a very successful one. So there's a lot to take away from this program today.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, what else do we got? Well, we're in the new podcast studio uh, here in Vancouver without you, which is actually your rental apartment. Uh <laughs> So we're yeah, we're, we're live it's, it's, from Fourteenth and Main. We've had to deal with a cat that we can't deal with. Um, we've had to deal with internet connections, and I got to say, you are in peak. We've hit peak Mount Pleasant uh, with this place.
3: What Maine and Fourteenth is peak, and and wh- how do you know that?
1: Well, I just signed up for your Wi-Fi for the first time. Uh, looking at the other, um...
3: what the what, what?
1: the handles? Yeah, the, looking at the, the, the internet connections in your in your. In your building, we were looking for yours. You got Lana Del Router. Uh You have <laughs> Arcade Wi-Fi. It's like people. Oh yeah, I've it's seen, like I've it's like your one. neighbors are trying to one up each other. In in
3: did you did you see did you find mine? Y Fizz Khalif. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the the password is black and yellow. Uh, but I. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. You
1: won this contest that's going on in your building.
3: I you know what I've never I've never seen the Lanadel router. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. That yeah, one well, uh that, that's great.
1: Well the other thing we should say and just in terms of what's going on I, uh, unfortunately, because you were called, uh, away, um, (laughs) and I managed to stay back. I just got off the line with Mike DeYoung, uh, former finance minister for the province, which was a phenomenal, I'm kind of still wired from that conversation. So stay tuned in a future episode for that. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm
3: disappointed I couldn't be there for that. That, That's, uh. We've been trying to get him on the program for a while, and we're we're super excited to have him. well, yeah that, that'll be a great
1: yeah, I mean it's unbelievable I mean, hey uh we get to talk about the last basically the last five years of explosive real estate and talk to the guy who was in the hot seat the entire time, so stay tuned that's a that's a good one, but uh maybe we should just cut to our uh, talk with Andrew because there's a lot going on in this conversation and a lot to take away from it
3: This is a long one, right I think we uh runtime about 45 minutes or so. So it it should be a fantastic conversation.
1: All right. So maybe we'll cut to our talk with realtor Andrew LaFleur from Toronto and founder of TrueCondos.ca. And we should say the True Condos podcast.
3: Absolutely. Enjoy, guys.
2: Okay, so we're here with Andrew LaFleur, real estate agent and pre-construction specialist in Toronto and uh, founder of TrueCondos.com. Welcome back,
4: Andrew. How are you? Great. Great. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on the show again. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks Always for having Always happy to talk real estate with you guys. My brother's on the left coast. How's it going out there? <laughs> yeah, doing pretty well. Pretty
2: good. Pretty good. Um, so, Andrew, um, you've been on before, uh, fan favorite, but can you maybe start by telling us a little bit about yourself?
4: Sure. Yeah. Um, I, uh, as you said in the intro, I'm a real estate agent here in Toronto. I specialize in the pre-construction condo market specifically. I've been doing this for uh, coming up on 12 years now, and basically, I help people make money. So I know you guys do a lot of this kind of work as well in Vancouver, but. Um, helping people understand where is the best spots and best projects and best units to buy in pre-construction in Toronto, where they're going to make the most money in the long term. And, uh, I'm a big investor myself as well. So definitely, uh, practice what I preach and put my money where my mouth is, so to speak. So yeah, um, love talking about all things, uh, real estate market. And, and so looking forward to, you know, chatting with you again here. Yeah, Andrew, so last time, we haven't
1: talked to you in a while. Last time we had you on, I think Toronto seemed to be kind of six, seven months behind Vancouver. Uh, but my sense is uh, things have kind of changed from that, right? Like uh, Toronto, how, how's the market doing there?
4: Yeah, I mean, that was sort of, I think the last time we talked, I can't remember what it was. That was one of the things people were, were looking at. Is Toronto tracking just tracking exactly uh, behind Vancouver there. I think both of our markets have kind of, you know, gone in, in different directions uh, since then, perhaps up and down and, and, and back and forth. But um, yeah, I, I think overall, the in terms of the market here in Toronto overall, the headlines are all pretty rosy. The headlines right now are basically talking about how sales are up, prices are up, that's sort of the main theme, but now we're comparing it to the very, very low times of the summer, uh, the summer months of 2017, where the market took a dramatic downturn. So, is the market, you know, doing amazing, uh, as amazing as maybe the numbers would suggest? Overall, I would say probably not. Uh, I would say the market is is certainly not in trouble in any way. The market is doing well. Uh, it's always nice to see numbers in the positive, but a big grain of salt with the numbers right now just because they're comparing to uh, a very low time of last summer where we we had just felt the effects of the fair housing plan in Ontario and the various rules and things that the government had put in place around May of last year. So summer of last year was a very slow time in the market overall. Um, another thing that we're seeing in a sort of a general high level sense is still this continued story of the, the tale of two markets. And I think you guys are experiencing something similar there. Whereas the, the low rise detached market is very different from the high rise apartment market, condo market. So condos doing very, very well. Um, anything on the low end of the pricing spectrum, essentially, um, you know, 600,000 and below kind of thing is all multiple offers. Prices are rising rapidly. Um, There's a massive lack of supply. It's a very strong seller's market. And on the other end of the spectrum, you know, detached low rise housing, uh, across the region you know priced 1.5 million and up kind of thing is um not terrible but it's certainly not great it's uh it, it's quite you know it's quite a a ish you could say market overall so um it's uh, yeah that's been going on for a while and it's still continuing
2: interesting so so andrew so you're basically so it sounds like the entry level of the condo market up to about 600,000 or so is still busy and, uh, would you say is the entry level of the detached market still very active?
4: Uh, yeah. I mean, again, overall the, the, the stats for detached are, are okay. They're, they're healthy. The numbers are there. Um, uh, you know, sales, I'm just looking, looking at the numbers here in front of me, sales are up, you know, uh, year over year, it looks like 17% for detached. So sounds like it's way up. Um, the average price is only up about one f- percent uh, overall. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the biggest story and it's something I, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, you see me ranting about it all the time. Is just the government has completely distorted the real estate market, um, and all these rules and regulations, in particular the stress tests, but also rent control and everything else they've done. Um, but stress test in particular, it's just it's distorting the market in such a way that's forcing all this demand down to the lower levels. So we have this huge pent up demand for the higher level uh proper the higher level of the of the pricing spectrum. Detached housing, you know, a million, two million bucks, you know, stuff in that range, huge pent up demand because people want to buy, but the the, the government's basically saying no, you can't buy. We're putting all these rules in place so you can't buy. So Sales numbers um, compared to historic levels are, are again, they're, they're not great compared to historic levels, but a lot of that is just due to the fact that people just cannot buy because of the rules. They want to buy, but they can't. So what do they do? Well, they just start moving down the pricing spectrum and they're, they're buying cheaper uh, properties instead, and, in the, and that means condos.
1: Yeah, that, that that's really interesting. And, and that's obviously, uh, uh, the stress test is a national policy. And I think we're seeing a lot of similar sort of situation here. The one thing that strikes me, Andrew, is that it seems like, like I mentioned before, we were kind of, there seemed like we we're in lockstep somehow previously, whereas now you guys are, are kind of on a different course than Vancouver. Uh, Vancouver's you know soft and getting softer it seems at the moment with stress tests um, and all the policies at the provincial level that have been in place I was struck by Doug Ford winning at the provincial level do you think does that have anything to do with your market or or what I guess maybe to put it another way uh, what are the factors that are kind of driving your market right now because
4: it seems like you guys are quite a bit busier than us. Well, I think the the biggest driver is always going to be population growth and job growth, and uh, the economy is doing very well right now, as everybody knows. Um, you know, wages are going up, unemployment is is going down, um, and you know the the population in the Greater Toronto Area is you know continues to grow at a very high pace, and it's probably actually increasing the pace of population growth here, especially with the the Liberals announcing a while back that they're going to be increasing immigration uh, targets across Canada, and and we know a very high percentage of those people are going to end up uh, in Toronto first of all, and then and secondly probably you know your Vancouver and other cities. So. Um, as long as those things are happening, the, I think the market is going to continue to plug along. But again, the the, the headwinds against us, uh, a bit, the major headwind right now is is probably the stress test and and the various um, rules around mortgages, but also just general affordability as well. Um, I don't know how much of that is a factor in Vancouver, but just people not being able to afford. Uh, even without even if they took the stress test away, the you know prices are still much much higher than they were you know two to three years ago, so mm-hmm. uh, naturally, a lot of people are just priced out of the market because of the the fact that things cost a lot more than they did a few years ago so that 's definitely a factor there in terms of our markets like tracking each other again i mean I think a lot of people in Toronto, we sort of look to Vancouver to sort of say, is that sort of our future in terms of pricing levels and where we could go and what we can expect uh, to be paying in the future? And, you know, if you look historically, Vancouver is always from a pricing standpoint, always ahead of Toronto. And we sort of are, are loosely tracking each other in that sense. But I think, again, it's a good reminder that the, you know that that every market is local. Real estate is local, as we always say, and um, there's different factors that are going to affect affect uh, different markets. So it's not it's it's not going to be a one follows the other necessarily situation all the time. Sometimes it might be, um, but uh, there's there's lo- so many different factors that um, that come into play when it comes to local markets and and which direction they're going in.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. One other question that I had for you, um, and and we have a an election coming up uh, in Vancouver here, a civic election in the next couple of months. And one of the things that's been on the table in the last couple of weeks, um, and I'm not exactly sure how serious it is is uh, calls for rent freezes. Um I it seems like Toronto has uh it has policies that are quite a bit more stringent than than Vancouver. Can you talk a little bit about rental regulation and and how that impacts investors in Toronto?
4: Yeah, I mean I I've I've uh, been seeing some of that as well on on the Twitter sphere and and what's happening in Vancouver and people calling for rent freezes and and this kind of thing. When anytime I hear something like that, to honest, it just scares the crap out of me. I mean, that's very scary thinking to to hear people talking like that. Um, like, you guys, at least in Vancouver, you guys have, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you've got, uh, you basically have, uh, your rent control is is inflation plus 2% or something like that. So, mm-hmm, you, right. so you can, uh, yeah, like, was it 4% or 4.5% they just announced for the allowable increase? Is that...
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh don't have it in front of me. I think that's yeah, something like that.
4: Yeah. Um versus here now in Ontario, since last year we have full rent control across the whole province and it's it's just inflation. So currently that's one point eight percent. I mean anybody any landlord, anybody who owns a property knows that you know your expenses are gonna go up way more than one point eight percent on any average year, but especially in the last uh the last couple of years, even just with rising interest rates alone, you're, you know, forget about property taxes and ongoing maintenance and everything else. Uh, just, just mortgage rates alone, your, your, uh, expenses are, are going up way more than, you know, these minuscule, you know, 1%, 2%, 3% levels, whatever it might be. But at least, you know, at least I, I see over there in, you know, in BC, you guys have, you know, at least it's inflation plus some number, So it's, you're, you're, you know, there's some sense to that and it, it, it's helpful to landlords offset some of their costs in Ontario, you know, with the, with the 1.8%, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, and talking about, you know, even worse, like rent freezes and, and stuff like this, like it's absolutely backwards thinking. Just look at any city, anywhere in the world, any study, anywhere in the world, that's done on rent control and the effects of it long term on, uh, cost of housing. It's, it's all, the the data's all there. The history's all there. We've been there. We've done that. It doesn't work. Rent control doesn't work. The best, the best, um, antidote to crooked landlords, the best antidote to high rental costs, the best antidote to landlords who are raising their rents, you know, by astronomically high numbers is not more legislation and, and, controls and rent freezes and all this crap. It's just, we need more landlords. We need more competition. We'll put these guys out of business. Mm -hmm. It's very simple. (laughs) It's not, it's, uh, you know, why like people just, I don't know what it is, but, um, I think it's just, you know, housing affects everyone. A lot of people rent. It's a very, it's an easy way to, uh, to get a lot of votes. If you come out and, and speak to something that affects a lot of people and say, you know, I'm going to do this for you and a short term, gain for long-term pain, you know, it's like, I'll save you some money today. I'll cost you a lot more money in the long run. I'll take the money today. You know, unfortunately that's, that's how a lot of our policies seems to be done in, in, uh, in, in our country. So, uh, but again, if you want to bring rents down to a more reasonable level, then just add more rental housing. It's very simple. Right. Um, they're just, they're just creating more and more disincentive, for investors and landlords to create more housing even if even if they're you know even if somebody wants to build more housing they're just they, they're so bogged down in uh uh rules and regulation and just the the approvals process things take forever to get built that you know again it's just acts as further disincentive and and it just slows the whole thing down and the supply problem is not being addressed we need uh we need massive reform in in uh, in how the the in how approvals are done and and how you know we can get more supply injected into the system and everybody just seems to be talking about the other end of the spectrum, which to my in my opinion is completely useless and a waste of time
1: right and so uh i think we're we're all on the same page in terms of of the impact of those uh rental um, regulations are you finding that investors are are nervous to to get involved in the market right now or is it basically just you know business as usual
4: um, I would say investors are very eager to get into the market I would say there's more people interested in getting into the market than ever before but the problem is affordability. Um, and the problem is, uh, finding properties that cash flow as well. So uh, the two are related, obviously. So just, you know, I, I speak to people every single day who are very eager and, and very, uh, you know, really wanting to get into the market, but the reality is they just, they can't afford it. They, they, um, uh, you know, I just, I speak to people even just this morning, somebody, they want to buy something downtown Toronto they, they've got funds available they're they're ready to rock they're they want to do it um, they they believe in in real estate investing they understand everything but they only have a four hundred thousand dollar budget and the reality is there's basically nothing available in Toronto certainly in downtown Toronto for that price range um, it's just very different market again from two, two three years ago if somebody had uh, said hey I want to buy something four hundred thousand I I would say, great, here's five options mm-hmm. that are all great investment opportunities, and, and basically just pick one and, and you're going to do well with it. And now it's like, okay, you need, you know, the floor of the market now is about, you know, 500,000 to sort of get into a small one bedroom unit somewhere downtown. Um, so it's uh, affordability is a, a big issue for investors. And so that's why a lot of investors are starting to look outside of Toronto and other markets in Ontario. Um, Other centers that are growing, your Hamilton's, your Kitchener's, your Ottawa's, places like that are are starting to do really well and and gaining a lot of investment attention. Um, And the other thing is cash flow, as I mentioned. So because prices have risen so rapidly, but rents, although they have risen a lot as well, they haven't kept up. So finding properties that cash flow is becoming harder and harder Um, in Toronto, where we sort of got used to being able to cash flow condos with 20% down. Now it's like, okay, well, you might need to put 30% down to make the numbers work today. That's funny. So it's uh, those are
2: those are those are the challenges we're facing. That's uh, I was just going to mention. Like last time we had you on, there seemed to be quite a few cash flow opportunities in Toronto, and we were actually really surprised by the numbers of cash flow neutral and cash flow positive properties. Yeah, available. I don't remember
1: the one beds being five hundred k. That's that's for sure. Last time we talked, well, it, it just
2: shows the uh, the upward pressure on pricing and and the fact that rents haven't uh, haven't increased at a similar clip. Would you would you say, Andrew? Yeah, is, again. Uh, well, so, right, I was just gonna go say ahead. just just
1: it sounds like it's about the entry level for a new condo, at least in downtown Toronto, is kind of a thousand a foot. Is that accurate?
4: Yeah, actually, as of as of recording this podcast, uh, I'm just looking at the latest uh, price per square foot averages for downtown Toronto. We are on the precipice of actually a pretty significant event, I would say, and that's we're almost at the point where the average condo downtown has hit thousand dollars per square foot. This is uh, this is in the resale market so we're we're at around 950 970 something like that as of time of recording this podcast so uh, we're just about to hit and and prices are rising rapidly in that segment again for the reasons I we already talked about um So very soon we are going to be, you know, a $1,000 per square foot is going to be reality. Like that is the actual official average price of a condo downtown. So again, a number that two, three years ago um, would have been considered, you know, just crazy if somebody said it, said that was, that was where we were going to be today. But uh, prices are up around 40% or so over the last 24 months, around 40%. So um it's uh it's it's an incredible run that we've been on. A lot of it's driven by this government policy, but uh here we are today.
2: How does that compare, Andrew, out of curiosity uh, to the presale market? Because in Vancouver we, we find that there's a disconnect between what's going on in resale and the and the prices of presale. Um often it can be, you know, a difference of uh, several hundred dollars a square foot um, increase on if you want it brand new, is that similar in Toronto? Like, do you pay a real premium for presale right now?
4: Yeah. In general, if you look at the overall stats for the entire market, um, today or a year ago or 10 years ago, it's always been the same, uh, pre-construction brand new properties are priced at a premium compared to resale properties. One of the myths that, um, I hear time and time again from people is well, back in the good old days, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it is they define as the good old days, uh, you used to be able to buy pre construction for cheaper than resale. Um, and that's just simply untrue. The, the stats clearly, you can look at the stats from anybody who tracks them over time, and, and you can clearly see there's always a gap between new and resale in terms of average pricing. Uh, the opportunities as an investor, of course, are to find those hidden gems, to find those projects that are pre-construction, but priced at or below resale pricing. But those are the exception, not the rule. Um, that's a bit of a tangent there. But anyways, back to your question. Today's market, pre-construction downtown Toronto, the average you're looking at downtown core Toronto, 1100 to $1,200 a square foot, again, versus... Uh, resale averaging a thousand dollars per square foot. So yeah, it's definitely, um, definitely a, a still that premium exists. It's uh, one hundred to two hundred dollars per square foot. I would say wow. is the premium you're paying on average. Now again, there you, you got a that's across the board. It includes all sorts of different properties in there, and of course, average resale price uh, that includes some buildings that are 40 years old that are trading and some buildings that are brand new that are trading. So, you know, average prices, uh, anything, anytime you're talking about an average, it's not necessarily a great statistic to, to use, but it gives you a, you know, an idea of what's happening in the market. I
2: I would say that that's quite a narrow gap compared to Vancouver. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Okay.
4: You're seeing, you're seeing a gap much bigger than the hundred to 200 bucks.
2: Absolutely. Especially downtown. And I, I yeah. think it's just the I cost mean, uh, of, uh, prob- possibly the cost of land uh, is is distorting that.
1: And the type of product that's being built right now because there's so little land, right? Like right. The, the pre-sales that we've seen over the last year or so downtown, yeah, are, are like upwards of 2,000 a foot. It's, and it, higher. Yeah. yeah. And then what, the resale market for something, say five to eight. Years old is what thirteen, fourteen hundred a foot generally. Depending what it is, yeah.
2: But I mean, generally speaking, uh, you can see you can see massive gaps in gaps in in uh, the resale and pre-sale market, and even in you know product that isn't really that uh, high end or without view quarters. You're still looking at new stuff downtown seventeen hundred a foot. Yeah, where the resale in the same area would maybe bear eleven, twelve hundred a foot. So substantial gaps for sure.
4: Interesting. And are you saying a lot of a lot of the that is because the the pre-construction, the new product that's coming onto the market is more of a premium, more of a luxury, more of a higher end product and not it's not a mass market sort of a a building? I think
2: for some of it, but it's still the, the gap is still very surprising between stuff that's kind of mid range as well. Um, but yeah, the higher end product that's coming on product, properties like, uh, or projects like uh, Butterfly, which you know was what, 2,800 a foot in some, in some cases, that's, that's a luxury pr- premium product. So I wouldn't take that as kind of the norm, um, but there's definitely, you can think about different buildings just with the demand for, for brand new that we're trading at 1,700 a foot downtown that were not uh, what I would call premium product. Yeah. Yeah,
4: it's I mean as one of the things we're tracking and I'm tracking here is like where do we go from here as a market? Um you know, do we and that's I think you look at New York and places like that, very mature markets, very expensive markets. I think the new product, they don't really have any mid-market product. Like everything is high end, everything is is sort of luxury, everything is um you know, premium product premium pricing because like you said that's the only way really for builders to make the numbers work right uh because the land is the land is so expensive and the construction costs are so expensive um they can't they can't really make a profit selling a mid-market product in a mature you know city where you know there are no empty parking lots that you can just buy and put a shovel in next week and put up a tower it's you know that those days are gone right and and you know
1: what even if you walk into stuff i'm thinking like spectrum uh yale town park like a lot of the buildings in downtown vancouver that are from 2007 say or 2000 you know kind of that era that's way more investor grade than anything that's being built now it's it's uh yeah it
2: there's been a huge shift over the last 10 years for sure mm-hmm and the demand. Yeah, I mean, it's it, very interesting. All most new product now comes with air conditioning. I mean, there's, there's yeah. also different uh, the the market. appliances is the standard now. Right, right, exactly. So yeah, the, it, it has changed. We've seen our product change for sure, especially in the downtown area.
4: So how does that, how does that affect like the first time buyer, the young professional, the entry level segment of the market? Like, cause that is obviously going to be the bulk of the market. Like what are they supposed to buy? What depends uh, what do they buy in Vancouver you know if there's there's no new product that's being added that is sort of that mid-market type of product that's made for the masses that's you know smaller cheaper more you know basic not high-end luxury finishes uh, if that stuff's not being made in Vancouver like what what are people buying and and where you know where do people go where do people go, you know, if this continues in five years, in ten years, what happened? Do they all just become permanent renters?
2: Well, I think, you know, I mean that that is a a real fear that that people will be pushed into the rental market. And we we've talked to developers that are that are gearing up and in, in building market rental uh right now in anticipation that there'll be this shift to cities like, you know, New York where people just they rent and and, know and that's like a, just the assumption of of <laughs> living in that city. Yeah, they have no aspiration to ever buy um, but the reality is that you know what we've seen with our with a lot of our younger client base, millennials, is you know they're getting pushed out of Vancouver, which is the obvious point. But they're but they're buying in areas and and where you know the SkyTrain lines are. You can think about areas like Port Moody or New West that are developing very quickly. Um, or alternatively, even areas that aren't on the SkyTrain line, but they offer kind of that master plan community, like uh, uh, Southeast uh, Vancouver River District. You know, areas where you can catch a break and where the product is, you know, it's still it's still great product, but they offer you know smaller spaces for for people that um, at you know at a fairly competitive price point compared to the rest of the market. But yeah, we're seeing people you know leaving Vancouver for Greater Vancouver, and then we're also seeing um, a huge development opportunities in areas that formerly were, you know, basically uh, close to the agricultural land reserve and and a lot of farmlands. You know, communities like Langley, which are really popular for young people now, or parts of Surrey, just just really pushing out. And we're seeing people in the detached market going to areas like Mission, which used to be really disconnected from the city, which now has almost been absorbed. Yeah.
1: And just as a final thought, I don't, it's, the ship has definitely sailed where first time buyers or people on kind of even close to an average salary here in Vancouver are thinking about buying new downtown. That would be. Depending on who their parents are, of course. (laughs) Yeah. But that, that ship has, has long (laughs) sailed. Yeah.
4: Interesting. Interesting. So basically that young buyer, that millennial buyer is just for the most part, not buying downtown. Is that,
2: you know it's it's tricky because we still and 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 I I say that kind of facetiously that there's that depending on who their parents are but we have a, a young guy at our office who his friends you know um, who tend to be kind of the I guess uh, wealthier contingent in Vancouver are buying established at these, families as well <laughs> yeah, are buying at these uh, very luxury buildings and you hear you definitely so so there's definitely. I would imagine a contingent of millennials and young people that are are buying downtown in the premium product but I would say most people are are being pushed out if they if they want to stay in Vancouver they're buying in the main street corridor or they're buying in uh River District or they're buying in East Vancouver um you know commercial drive area or or Hastings Sunrise they're buying products that are uh, are definitely more affordable in areas that are still fantastic um but yeah the to buy new downtown i think i think more realistic for a, most young people would be if they if they are targeting downtown they're looking at the resale market and and probably the west
1: end specifically because that's where the older product is where you know it's still kind of you can get in for 800 a foot 850 a foot kind of range uh although there's not much out
2: there right now yeah depending on of course the. Uh, the market. Right now, I mean there actually is a little bit of a since our market is taking a breath right now, um there seems like there's opportunities even in, in uh in the lower price point products. So interesting. Interesting.
4: Yeah. So I mean people adjust. I think that's at the end of the day, people adjust like expectations adjust. Uh you know, like for a long time investors in Toronto, they just expected a, a guaranteed cash flow with 20% down and now they don't, right. so, you know, so <laughs> it's like, uh, bang in New York, in Hong Kong, like nobody has thought that way for 20 years. Um, but the city keeps on moving along and prices keep going up and rents keep going up. Um, so people adjust, like you said, you know, we used to say, okay, well, I'm a young professional making whatever amount you think is a normal amount for young professional. I'm going to live downtown. Well, you can't do that anymore. So what are you going to do? You're going to move to South Dakota. No, you're going to, you know, you'll just move to, uh, like you said, you'll just move a couple stops away on the, uh, on the Skytrain or, you know, yeah. You'll enjoy life in Langley, whatever it is. And
1: and that's uh I often think back to Bob Rennie saying here in Vancouver years ago that it's yeah, location, location, location is now skytrain, sky train, skytrain. Sky train. And uh that's proven true over the last, especially with the boom over the last five years. Absolutely. Um, yeah, hundred percent.
2: And and Andrew, um, Maybe uh, switching gears because we know we don't have we, we don't have you too long. But um, I I'm curious just because we have a ton of investors that listen to this program and you are an investor yourself. You you buy uh, a lot of properties and you put your money where your mouth is. What what are some of the key indicators that you look for? Do you have like a, a personal approach to to analyzing an investment property that you can share with our listeners?
4: Well, yeah, I mean there's. Uh there's a lot of um, uh, tools and tactics that that we use and systems that we have for for evaluating properties. I mean, the main thing is every opportunity has to be evaluated on its own merits. Um, so uh, everyone, you know, a lot of people ask me that same sort of question. Basically, people are looking for like, what's the magic bullet that's going to guarantee me success if I just do this thing, or if it, if the property just has checks these boxes, then. It's going to be a guaranteed success. And I would just say, you know, it, it it's not unfortunately that, uh, much of a science it's, it's part art part science investing in real estate. I would say, um, there's certain things you, you want to look for, but you know, um, there's so many instances of, of, uh, you know, situations where people have done very well with their investments and it hasn't checked off these boxes that this guru or this, expert tells you it has to do this and this and well, it didn't do those things and and look at this amazing return we still got. So, um, with that being said, uh, you know, some, again, going back to what we talked about earlier in the conversation, it's, it's looking for those, uh, hidden opportunities, those value opportunities that others might overlook. Um, where you, you, if, you know, a big one is just, if you can buy something pre-construction at or below, current resale values, then generally that's a very good, strong indicator that you're probably going to be very successful with that, especially if you're buying in, you know, if you're buying in the downtown core of Toronto. Now, those sorts of opportunities are becoming harder and harder to find. Uh, again, two, three years ago, I could name you, you know, half a dozen of them uh, at, a, at a, you know, at most points in time, but right now they those are becoming harder and harder to find as as the market has been, you know, red hot for the past 2 years now, talking about the downtown condo market. So, prices have risen dramatically. Rental rates have risen as well, but they haven't risen um at the same, you know, at the same uh, uh level where you're, you know, you're able to continue to see positive cash flow with 20% down. Now, the beauty of buying pre-construction and buying something that's not going to be built for four years as well, one of the major advantages of it is you're buying at today's prices, but you're going to be renting it out at tomorrow's prices, essentially tomorrow's rental prices. So um, you're locking in a price today, but uh, the rental rates that you're going to get on that property are going to be much, much higher, most likely, than they are today um, because you're, you're going to be renting it out four years from now. So... Uh, a lot of people, you know, on paper, most pre-construction investments on paper, when you buy them, they don't look great. They don't look like they're going to be, uh, flow positive properties, but four years down the road, when, when the property is done, uh, in most cases, you look like a genius. People you know, (laughs) say, wow, this guy's a genius. Look, look at him. He bought it for this and he's renting it out for that. Well, yeah, because he, uh, was, was, um, was uh, was smart enough to understand that that 's how the market works and he took the small but calculated risk to you know to put some money down in the past and he reaps rewards you know in the present because of that so um, those would be uh, those would be a couple of, of tips there but again it, it's you know i've been doing this for a long time a lot of it comes down to just understanding the market overall understanding the the many factors that go into what makes a condo building a success? What makes one building on one side of the street appreciate at 10% in a year and the building across the street from it only appreciate it at 6%. Hmm. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, you guys know this. It, it's uh, there's a lot of subtle differences that to the layman, to the, to the, to the person on the street, they may not understand. But um, when you've been in the game a long time and you've, you've, you know, you've bought many investment properties yourself, you certainly do develop a a very good um, understanding and, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, gut feel for, you know, what's going to be a great investment, most likely,
2: and what's not. Sure, sure. And do you have an area right now that you're particularly excited about?
4: Uh, In terms of, uh, in terms of locations? Yeah. um, Well, I think, Continue to to see a lot of potential for growth. We're talking about Toronto on the east side of the city, on the east side of downtown, on the east side of the core of the city. Um, one area that is starting to emerge, we're in the early stages, but certainly one to watch over the next five to ten years um, would be this area around this uh, development called East Harbour. So it's just on the east side of the Don River, just on the. The Don Rivers, sort of the defining eastern edge of the downtown core. So we're just on the other side of that. Um, and the East Harbor development is a massive proposed um, commercial development with office towers. As many as 50,000 jobs they're talking about could be in this one small area. Wow. Almost like a, a, second, a second financial district that might emerge over the next five to ten years. So... Anything around that area is certainly, uh, something to watch in the next five to 10 years. Um, and again, continuing on the East, like Regent Park, downtown East, uh, traditionally a very, you know, rundown, poor, not desirable area continues to be a great area to invest in. Um, I bought several properties there myself over the years. I, I continue to hold most of those. Um, so Regent Park's an, another great example, um, and then, you know, outside again, outside of Toronto, a lot of people are looking at other, uh, centers outside of Toronto, but still sort of within the, you know, within the, uh, the economic spin-off, you know, sort of zone of, uh, of Toronto. And so, you know, markets like Hamilton, downtown Hamilton and downtown Kitchener are certainly other markets to watch as well. And then moving a little bit further away would be uh would be downtown Ottawa um is another market that a lot of people priced out of Toronto are looking looking at as well. So
2: Yeah, and we actually I think the last time you had mentioned that down the east side of downtown in Toronto was uh one to watch and it sounds like it's kind of continuing on.
4: Yeah, absolutely. There's still huge, you know, potential upside there uh, on the whole east east downtown for sure.
2: So Andrew, um, maybe just as a final question before we wrap, um, there's a lot of people right now talking about the Canadian real estate market in general being very frothy and uh, uh, you know, that, we're, that we're facing uh, some changes in, in a lot of markets, Vancouver included, but Toronto obviously has been in the crosshairs as well. What, what do you say to the uh, people that are very bearish on the market in Toronto and how do you respond to the, the people that are, are, are calling for major uh, quote-unquote corrections? Um. Well, uh, you know, I don't. Uh, I I don't
4: really spend too much time thinking or, or speaking to that sort of segment of of the population or people who are thinking like that. Most likely, those people who are not listening to this podcast and probably never will. <laughs> they might. They They might. uh, They might send us uh, you and I a, a couple of you know colorful tweets here and there on what they're we got. We got, on got the one market, the other day. <laughs> Yeah. That's why I ask. (laughs) Facebook comments, (laughs) tweets. Yeah. But honestly, I just, I don't waste my time on that. I mean, I'm interested in talking to uh, people who understand that real estate is a long-term investment, that real estate is a long-term game, that there's always going to be ups and downs in every market. Of course, you know, things don't go up always forever. Uh, It's never been true. It never will be true. There will be ups and downs, but you know my message is who cares you need to ignore all of that it's all just white noise that's going to distract you from doing what you should do which is to get in the market and just stay in the market and be in the market as long as possible the longer that you're in the market the more that you're going to benefit from it um you know i like to say the you know the longer you're in the market the you know the smarter you look the luckier you get uh the the more breaks you're going to have, um, you're going to have ups and you're going to have downs, but the longer that you're in the market overall, the better that you're going to do overall. And it's real estate is not a, it's not a stock. It's not an equity. It's not a buy and sell. It's not a buy low, sell high. Uh, it's a buy and hold. Um, it's a long, you know, take a long-term approach. Think in terms of decades. Don't, don't worry about what's happening this year, next year Buy investments today. That makes sense um, that'll continue to make sense in the future. And, you know, sleep well at night. <laughs> they just don't overcomplicate it. Hey, that's, that's uh, fantastic
1: advice, Andrew. So, uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening are keen to get in touch or, uh, I, we know you have an awesome, uh, email that you send out weekly. How can people and find out more? Again, a great podcast, I should say. Yeah. How can people find out more about what you do? <laughs>
4: Yeah, absolutely. i uh, love to chat with anybody who's interested in talking about uh, Toronto or Ontario real estate investment opportunities and particularly condo, the condo market. And people can go to truecondos.com. You can sign up there, subscribe to my weekly uh, email list to learn about opportunities that are upcoming and happening now. Um, and definitely, yeah, you'll, you'll see my podcast there as well on truecondos.com. You can, uh, if you're listening to this, you probably like podcasts, so definitely subscribe to this podcast, but also check out my podcast, uh, true condos podcast on iTunes, um, or just go to truecondos.com.
2: Excellent. Well, maybe we'll leave it there, but thanks again for your time, Andrew. Yeah, I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks.
4: Thanks guys. And, uh, look forward to chatting with you again soon. All the best
1: so there you have it folks our discussion with Andrew Lafleur Toronto real estate agent pre-construction specialist podcaster investor father founder of uh, truecondos.ca I mean Andrew does it all and it's great to talk to him
3: you're like man who drives to work Uh, I'm telling you he does
1: do it all he also drives to work (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's he's an impressive guy.
3: He's a very impressive guy and uh he's a good friend of ours. We've known Andrew for years and we really appreciate having him back on the program. And I like I really like that we got a little bit of a chance to talk about his investment strategy and and kind of uh you know where he sees the opportunities for investors right now because he's a great investor. Like I mean yeah. he's a great realtor, but he's also just a great real estate investor and he's a smart guy. So it's always good to pick his brain and get some more information on on what he's doing in that market. Also, Matt, interesting thing. Totally aside from, uh, I think our conversation. I don't, I don't think we were recording when we talked about the new West Bank project in Toronto. It's going to be in the, in the 400 or 500 block of King Street West. And if you haven't seen this, maybe we'll put a rendition on the uh, on our on on But man, is it an interesting looking project. So this is West Bank who did Vancouver House um they've got a ton of really kind of butterfly they're doing groundbreaking projects with world renowned architects and these these projects are are you know changing the game in urban centers and uh they're taking on a, a, a major project on king street west and it is stunning so go have a look at that look at the renditions just beautiful
1: yeah yeah it's interesting to see west bank moving into toronto and uh i think this is their second project there but, yeah, Andrew was asking us because obviously West Bank has a uh tried and true track record here in Vancouver um of sure. our th- of our thoughts on it, but it strikes me as um you know West Bank is one of those developers that's kind of thinking about buildings in terms of works of art and uh and they're introducing that concept uh in a big way in Van- or in Toronto, I should say, so it's interesting to it will be interesting to see what happens there,
3: yeah, absolutely. What else do we got for today, Matt Are you guys what is it around lunch hour so what are you guys doing for lunch?
1: Well, hey, we're we're uh, in uh, Peak Mount Pleasant still, Fourteenth and Main. So yeah, you were saying uh, you mentioned something about a Vietnamese restaurant around here.
3: Yeah, it's called An and Ann and Chi. Ann and Chi, check it out. Ann and Chi, it's at like Main and Sixteenth. And uh, I went there for lunch the other day. It was phenomenal. Really great room. Amazing uh, Vietnamese food.
1: All right. Well, yeah, I'm getting hungry, so maybe we should cut to uh, the chase here. So what else do we got? We got vancouverrealestatepodcast.com where you can find research tools like private client services.
3: Matt, you if you and <laughs> Matt, if you are not using private client services, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, realtor level information, days on market, it's all integrated with all the mapping systems and it's updated 36 to 72 hours before public MLS.
1: If you are not using private client services to search for real estate in Vancouver, you are doing it wrong. We also have that mobile app.
3: Picture this, Matt. You are parked in a parking lot in Sycamus and a group of teenagers seem to be uh, looking at you. <laughs> They're not smoking, Aggressive are they? They're not smoking, They're are smoking. they? They're smoking. oh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> so Uh-oh. Gonna, I'm going to leave, but... <laughs> But maybe you can explain that the app is uh, for augmented reality. What is it oh, thing? yeah,
1: it has augmented reality. So if you're getting nervous around those teenagers, but you also look past them and see a building that looks kind of interesting or a single-family home, all you have to do is point your phone in that direction. It's going to tell you if it's for sale and what the price is. But as I'm sort of saying this, I'm thinking, don't start looking like you're taking photos of the teenagers. That's a bad That's a bad scene.
3: All oh gone. they took my phone. <laughs>
1: All right, so so we've lost we've lost Adam but, uh maybe we'll leave it uh at this if you want to reach out, get in touch over at the podcast website vancouver dot com or you can try me at seven seven eight eight four seven two eight five four or matt at vancouver real dot com or you can try Adam at seven seven eight eight six six four five seven four or adam at vancouver real estate dot com Matt, you can also get a hold of us at the nonpartisan line. That's right, Adam. Info at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. Well, we hope Adam's all right, uh, and uh, you'll have to tune in next week to find out. So enjoy your week, guys, and we'll talk to you next week.
3: Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.